You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Chris Fedor. And if you missed it, the Cavaliers, with the 14th overall pick in the 2022 NBA draft, selected, and I know we've had this pronunciation issue, but I'm going to say it right, Ochai Abaji from Kansas, um, a 6'5 national champion. So, Chris, we talked a lot about him, and you kind of mentioned on the last podcast before the draft, you were like, well, honestly, with everything they're looking for, I mean, he just fits the best. I don't know why we've kind of overthought it. And you were kind of right, because he was there, so was Malachi Branham, so were some other uh, players that, um, you know, the Cavaliers were looking at, and it was Abaji. So what was their process like? What did they think? What did they see? And why did they make Abaji their pick? So first off, was this like your worst nightmare when they drafted him 14th overall and you were thinking to yourself, oh, my God, I've got to pronounce this guy's name so much for the rest of my life? Honestly, yes, 100 percent. That was literally the issue. I was I was like, oh, no, Uh, I've messed this name up so many times. Now I got to mess it up even more. So, yes, it was my worst nightmare. Thank you for bringing it up. You're welcome. So I talked to um, I talked to Kansas head coach Bill Sells. And he said that everybody just calls him Oach, okay? Oh, so okay. If, I can Oach. If that makes it, if that makes it easier on you, if that makes it easier on me, if it, that makes it easier on the Cavs fan base, I think we can just call him Oach. Oach, I like that. I like that. Okay. Oach Abaji. Yeah. I like that. We can do that. <laughs> okay. Cool. Um, so, like. We talked about this on the podcast leading into the draft that there were kind of two paths that they could have gone down. And I felt like draft night was really going to give us an indication of um, how they view themselves and and where they are in this particular rebuild. And it was really, really telling to me. Um, This pick of Abaji at number 14 tells me that the Cavs don't see themselves, Hayden, as a rebuilding team. The Cavs see themselves as a team that's ready to take that next step, a team that's ready to win right now. Um, and, and I think that's an interesting and different philosophical shift um, because for the previous four years, they took four straight one and dones: Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, Isaac Okoro, Evan Mobley. And they took those guys knowing that they weren't ready yet, 
but feeling like, okay, these are going to be young players that we're going to make into part of this core moving forward. We've got time to wait for them to develop. We've got time for them to develop on the court while getting those meaningful reps in those game situations and not being worried, not chasing wins in the same kind of way. Um, It feels like now they are positioned to chase wins. So um, that was my big takeaway from, from the pick of Abaji at number 14, because like you said, Hayden there, and, and look like, they could have taken that other road that we were talking about, the the swing for the fences, high upside guy. Had Usman Jang been there at, at number 14, I think the Cavs would have had a really difficult decision. They would have given him a lot of consideration at number 14. Um, but they weren't presented with that opportunity because Oklahoma City decided to give up three first-round picks to get Jang. And the Cavs weren't in position to do that either. Um, so they didn't have to make that particular decision. Um, and obviously they didn't value Malachi Branham, AJ Griffin, Dalen Terry, some of the other higher upside, um, players at at number 14, the same way that they would have with Jang. Um, so it's a ready made guy, a plug and play guy, somebody who can fill their rotation immediately and they don't have to wait on him for him to develop as much as they did in past years with Colin, Darius, and Isaac specifically. So with the Baji, what do they have? I mean, you know, a guy who won the national championship, maybe the best player on the best team in the country. Um, What does he bring? He brings shooting that they didn't have. And, And that's the thing. You know, I asked Kobe Altman, the night of the draft, and I asked J.B. Bickerstaff the day after the draft, I said, okay, is Abaji more of a two or a three? How do you view him? And Kobe said, you know, I'm not going to answer for J.B. It's going to be up to him how he wants to fill out his rotation and his lineups and all those kinds of things, but I see him as more of a two. And then I asked J.B., and J.B. said, you know, we don't put guys in boxes like that. We'll use uh, big lineups. We'll use small lineups, da 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 but the bottom line is, you know, the Cavs, for the most part, view Abaji as a two. Can he play three? Sure, probably. Um, he's six foot five. He's got a six foot ten wingspan. Um, he's strong. He's physical. So in certain matchups, um, or if they switch or something like that, I think they're comfortable enough with him um, for stretches playing the three, defending the three. But he's a two. Um, that's a crowded position, right? Karis Levert's there, Isaac Okoro is there, Colin Sexton could be there. So if you're going to draft somebody that plays that same position, he better have a skill set that is different and unique. And he does. He's not the same as Levert. He's not the same as Colin. He's not the same as Okoro. He is a sniper. A 40% three-point shooter this past year at Kansas Um, I had one scout say that he was the best shooter available that the Cavs could have targeted at number 14. Um, He was in the 94th percentile for catch and shoot. So he is a shooting weapon that they did not have. I had somebody in the organization liken uh, the way that they're planning to use him. Not that he's similar to this guy, not that he's at the same level as this guy, but they likened him 
to Kyle Korver from the championship days and how they were able to use him coming off of screens, coming off of pin downs, stashed in the corner on driving kicks. The Cavs haven't had that kind of threat out there for the last, you know, four years, basically. And Abaji is going to give them a different kind of way um, to run offense. Let's put it that way. So, I mean, it, it, I, I kind of, I love that kind of comparison. I mean, a guy that can come out and shoot. It's not a comparison because, hold on, hold on, hold on. When you say comparison. Right. right. Okay. People are going to say you're comparing Abaji to Corbett. That's not it. Correct. The idea Idea. of how Kyle was used and how Kyle lifted the offense. That's what the Cavs have in mind. Not that Abaji is going to be Corbett. But the that's idea fair. of the usage and how to weaponize him, that's what's um, got them excited. Well, maybe, although, I mean, maybe, why put a ceiling on him? Maybe Easy. he can be. Maybe he Easy. can be. Maybe he can we're, be. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about one of the best pure shooters yes, of I the know. last decade. I Easy now. I know, I know. <laughs> Well, what are they, so what are his weaknesses then? I mean, what 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 does he have to work on? What why did he fall to fourteen? Why wasn't he the number one pick in the draft? Well, look, I mean, he wasn't going to be the number one pick in the draft because he's twenty two years old. Right. I don't know when the next time is that we're going to see a four year player or a twenty two year old even go in the top five. Usually, teams that are picking in the top five or in the lottery in general, Hayden, they don't want these kinds of guys. You know what I mean? Right. They want a guy that can, they want the higher upside guys, but, but it just so happens that the Cavs viewed themselves and given the season that they had, you know, they won 44 games, uh, 44 win teams usually aren't drafted in the lottery, you know? Um, So this is a team that's a little bit different. I I was looking at it when I was doing a mock draft. I was like, okay, like who could realistically target Abaji here? Who feels like they're a play-in team in either conference or a team that's ready to take that next step to the playoffs? Um, San Antonio, no, right? And you start going through that list, and you're like, man, I don't know where else he could go in the lottery. And the two teams that jumped out at me were Charlotte at 13, right? Because they have a mix of youth and veterans because a couple of years ago they were in the play-in tournament um, and the Caps. So you just so happen to have a couple of teams in that lottery range, the late lottery range that might've been looking for this kind of player, a 22 year old adult compared to what usually comes into the NBA, more mature, more physically developed, um, 116 games of college basketball. That helps. Um, playing in the NCAA tournament, playing in, in big atmospheres, um, pressure-packed moments, all that kind of stuff was going to appeal to the Cavs more than it was to Oklahoma City or the San Antonio Spurs or even the Washington Wizards. Um, so the downside to him beyond his age is the fact that he cannot create offense on his own at all. He is very, very reliant on other guys creating for him. The Cavs are okay with that because Darius is going to be a primary creator, obviously. Um, If Colin Sexton's back, he can do a little bit of that. Karis LeVert as well. Evan Mobley is going to have the offense run through him from time to time. 
uh, more so than as a rookie. That's the natural evolution of Evan, and that's something that the Cavs are planning for. And the Cavs want Rubio back. We've talked about that for months. Right. Um, so the Cavs feel like they're going to have enough play creation, or they're hoping to have enough play creation, that that weakness um, won't be as apparent on this particular roster. But that's a big one. Uh, his assist percentage is woefully low. Um, his play creation is non-existent. And he's seen as a role player, as opposed to somebody who has the kind of upside to be an all-star caliber player. Well, that's why it makes and sense. And defensively, I think there are questions, too. I mean, you know, he's six foot five. He's got the body. He's got the length. But, you know, he didn't have the reputation of, like, Isaac Okoro as a defender in college. So I think there are legitimate questions about his defense as well. Right. It's almost like, you know, if you combined him and Isaac Okoro, they'd be a, a really, really good player. <laughs> Yeah, I would say right. that that's probably accurate. Right, but, but I mean, been, that's one of the been... things that the Cavs liked about Abaji is that his shooting piece is elite, and nobody else at that position is like that. Nobody else on this roster is like that. Right. I mean, it was the idea. Dylan Windler was the idea, um, but that has never actually turned into production because of injuries and a number of other factors. Right. That's right. All right. Well, the Cavaliers also had some other picks, and and you know we can talk more about Abaji, but I want to touch on some other guys that they took. Um, were you surprised, first of all, that they took three three second rounders and they got that pick from the from Sacramento? I mean, what was the thought process there? Wrote about this this morning on Cleveland.com. Um, the reason why they acquired that extra pick from Sacramento is because. It was a cheap asset. Um, they didn't have to give up anything really except for cash in order to get it and the draft rights of somebody who I don't know if he was ever going to come over or not. Um, so it was a cheap asset and it gave them flexibility and optionality. And for the right player at the right price, I think the Cavs would have been willing to move back into the first round. And they had many, many phone calls about that. And um, they were hoping for that opportunity. Again, it had to be for the right player and at the right position because there's a roster crunch. So if they were going to give another guaranteed contract, like it had to be worth it for them. Um, a combination of the way that the board fell and the price in order to move back into the first round made the Cavs ball. They said, all right, now we're stuck with three second round picks. Um, we don't have enough roster spots for those guys. Uh, so what are we going to do here? And they took two draft and stash guys. Luke Travers isn't coming to the NBA. He's not going to take a roster spot. And Halipa Jop is not coming to the NBA. And he's not going to take a roster spot either. And I'm told the plan for Isaiah Mobley, and I wrote this draft night, um, the plan is to give him a two-way contract, not an NBA contract. So that means he's going to bounce between the G League Cleveland charge and um, and the NBA. You know, not everybody that you take in the second round is going to accept that kind of deal. You know what I mean? Right. So Isaiah is the kind of guy that they believe will accept that kind of deal. And then they won't have to use one of the 15 NBA spots on any one of their second round picks. 
And that's kind of the position that they're in. Going into the draft, Hayden, they had 11 guys under contract. Nine of those were guaranteed, and the other two were Dean Wade and Lamar Stevens, and they like both those guys. Okay, so you start doing the math, right? Number 12 is Abaji. Uh, 13 could be Colin Sexton. 14 is Ricky Rubio, most likely. Uh, so now you got one spot. <laughs> right. Just like that. You've got one spot left. Um, to me, that's earmarked now for a backup center. Uh, maybe Isaiah Mobley turns into that by the end of the year. Um, but that's what they were facing at pick number 39 with Khalifa Jop, for example. You know, EJ Liddell is on the board. Kendall Brown's on the board. J.D. Davidson from Alabama's on the board. But in the case of Davidson, even though he's a point guard, and that's a need that they're going to fill in free agency, like he's two, three years away from being able to help you that same kind of way. They didn't have a spot on the roster for that kind of guy. Talk about EJ Liddell. Like, they've got enough three-slash-fours, right? Dean Wade is a three-slash-four. Lamar Stevens is a three-slash-four. So EJ Liddell, they couldn't afford to use that, that last roster spot on somebody who could be viewed as a duplicate. So that was the situation that they were in. And, and once, you know... They were on the board at number 39, and then they were on the board again at 49, and then 56, and they weren't able to package those and, and get up to, like, 33 or into the back end of the first round. They were going to have to take multiple draft and stash guys. That was the situation that their roster crunch put them in. So let's talk about the, the non-roster stash guy and uh, Isaiah, Mo- Isaiah Mobley, um, a – yeah. An awesome story. I mean, obviously, Evan Mobley and Isaiah, you know, brothers that got played in college and get to play together in the NBA. I mean, it's pretty it's got to be pretty cool. Like, what does he bring? Yeah. And, and you mentioned he's going to be probably a two way guy. But I mean, I, I feel like that could be a really cool situation for those two. No, sure. I mean, it was one of the thinking uh, one of the thought processes um, that the Milwaukee Bucks had when they gathered all the to Sukumbo brothers and, and put them with Giannis. Uh, make your star players happy. Uh, that's part of this equation. You know what I mean? Keep your star players happy. That's part of the equation as well. And that's not the only thing, right? The Cavs like his offensive versatility. He was arguably the best passer for USC, even though he played a big position. Um, he's a developing three-point shooter, 36% this past year for USC, so you can run some pick and pop with him, you would think. He's a versatile defender, can guard probably fours and fives, maybe even has the, the versatility and, and the flexibility and the agility and the quickness to, to guard threes in a pinch. Um, long wingspan, about seven foot three. A high basketball IQ, was, was coached the right way by, by the father of the Mobleys, Eric, who is now an assistant coach at, at USC. So there are a lot of things to like about him. He's not Evan, obviously. He doesn't have that same kind of upside. He's not viewed the same kind of way. Uh, You know, some people didn't even have him in the top 100 of of their draft rankings. The Cavs had him right around the top 50, and that's where they got him. Um, So there are things to like about him, sure. There's no doubt about that. And like I said, by the end of the season, maybe possibly he plays so well with, with the Cleveland Charge that the Cavs look at him as a potential option as the backup center. It's 
it's fascinating. I mean, you know, the, the brothers thing. I think I never really thought of it like, you know, like the Antetokounmpo brothers and, you know, the Mobley brothers. I mean, there there could be something to that. Like, you know, like, I don't know, like a morale thing or just uh, like maybe somebody to push each other and, and make each other better, closer. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there's a comfort thing, obviously. Yep, yep. Um, they they can hang together on on the road if, if Isaiah is going to be on the NBA roster at points throughout the course of the season. Um, I mean, it's all about, like J.B. Bickerstaff said in, in the press conference on Friday, and Kobe Altman has talked about this as well, Hayden, they're trying to build a family-like environment in Cleveland. Um, yep. In a lot of ways, that's what it was like for the four years with LeBron. LeBron yep. tried to make the team a family, group chats, dinners on the road, um, jokes, musical choices, whatever the case may be. Right. And that's what the Cavs are trying to do as well with this group. Um, and they took it to a different level with actually bringing Evan Mobley's family member here. Right. But camaraderie, chemistry, togetherness, all that kind of stuff matters. Yes, it does. So if you know Evan fit in really, really well, there's an idea that Isaiah is going to fit in really, really well too. Low maintenance, don't have to worry about him off the court, high character guy, really good work ethic. The Cavs know all these things about Isaiah through Evan, through Eric, through their connections with USC. And bringing in the right people in an organization is really, really important for the Cavs. You have to have talent too, but you're drafting people. It's not just a skill set. And I think the Cavs feel really, really confident about the person that Evan is and think Isaiah can be the same kind of guy. And it makes I'm really, sense. I'm really glad you said that. That's something we don't, we don't think about nearly enough is that you're drafting people. You're t- These are people and like, it, you know, I, I think that that goes far beyond basketball. It goes in every other sport. It's just, I think we so often lose touch with the fact that these guys are people and they have feelings and they have emotions and they have, you know, difficulties and they have, you know, they're not just, yeah. they're not just assets. I mean, yes, you know, we talk so much about assets, but like it, it's right. so much more than that. And I think that that gets lost. It really does. I agree 100%. And that's something yeah. that the Cavs value. They they have termed it the controllables, the work ethic, the attitude, um, the, the 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 blend into the quote unquote family, the competitiveness level, like all those things are very very valuable to them. With uh, it, it probably doesn't hurt to make Evan happier too. <laughs> I mean, if that's a guy, if that's a guy you're gonna build around, yeah. Let's let's uh, let's let's get him uh, a little more happy. Of course not, especially because it was an extra second round pick, and it was a second round pick that is not immediately going to take a roster spot. Um, so that continues to give you the flexibility and optionality that you need heading into free agency. Now, because of the way that the Cavs went in in the draft with the second round. And a lot of people were like, what the heck are they thinking in the second round? Kendall Brown would have been better. EJ Liddell would have been better. You know, X player would have been better than Halifa Jop. Number one, the Cavs like Halifa Jop. 
they've watched him overseas a number of times. Um, he's 20, 20 years old. Um, he's a developmental center. There's a chance that he's going to be playing in the Euro League this year. He might sign with a Euro League team. That's high-level competition. So that's going to get him an opportunity to play against pros, a tough league, a rugged league, a competitive league. Um, and the Cavs think maybe in two years he could come to the NBA and, and be that kind of defensive anchor, somebody who backs up Jared Allen, Evan Mobley. And if he doesn't, who knows? Maybe they slip him in a deal down the road or something like that. So they liked him. And on top of that, because of the direction that they went in the second round with two draft and stashes and a G League guy, um, now they head into free agency. Number one, they can keep Lamar Stevens and Dean Wade unless a better opportunity comes along in a trade or something like that. And two, they can go into free agency and say, all right, we have the roster space to sign Ricky Rubio as a backup point guard and a backup center if we want to go that way, or a third point guard if we need to go that way to fill in for Ricky at the beginning of the season so it's not all on Darius. Like, that's – if they would have drafted EJ Liddell or Kendall Brown, then they would have only had um, one roster spot or maybe they would have felt a necessity to move on from Dean Wade or Jetty Osman or Lamar Stevens or whoever it may have been. So let's go over these roster spots. I just want to really fast go over. So you got Darius Garland, uh, Karis LeVert, Isaac Coro, Evan Mobley, Larry Markkinen, Jared Allen, Kevin Love, Jetty Osman, uh, Lamar, or are we counting Lamar Stevens and Dean Wade? Yeah, I think we are. Lamar Stevens, Dean Wade, Ochayabaji, um, that's eleven. Dylan Dylan Windler, um, and then Colin Sexton maybe, right? That's thirteen. Right. And then you're right. Then rookie Rubio fourteen. Then you got one spot. Right. All right. So that spot, like you said, like who would who would they target as a backup center? Who would they target as a third point guard? See, the third point guard thing is really really tricky. Um, it may make more sense for them to get somebody on like a veteran minimum deal that is willing to accept um, a backup point guard role early. And then that person understands that when Ricky Rubio is recovered and healthy, he's either not going to be on the roster or he's going to be out of the rotation completely. I honestly do not know who fits those parameters, Hayden. Yeah. It's it's very, very difficult because not everybody is going to sign up for that kind of role, right? So, like, we could have conversations about Tyus Jones and Goran Dragic and um, DeLon Wright and Howell Neto, but if the Cavs are committed to going down the Ricky Rubio road, I don't know that any of those guys would accept that kind of role. I think they could probably believe that they could do better in a different situation on a different team. So that makes it really, really difficult. Um, beyond that, like the backup center is tough too, right? Because, Evan Mobley could fill that 
from time to time. Um, and Jared Allen is going to get 30 to 36 minutes a night, something along those lines. So you have to find somebody that's going to be okay. Ed Davis was okay with his role last year. You know what I mean? Yep. He knew that he was here to be a veteran mentor. He knew that he wasn't going to be playing a whole bunch of minutes. So does Serge Ibaka fit that? Um, I don't think they'd be able to get Mo Bamba. Does Robin Lopez fill that? Does JaVale McGee look at this situation and say, hey, that's kind of attractive. They're on the rise. Maybe I can help them on the court and off the court. Um, Gorky Jang, who played with the Atlanta Hawks last year, does he look at this kind of situation and say, hey, maybe that's for me? Hassan Whiteside comes to mind. But, I mean, you can't really look at Mo Bamba. You can't really look at, you know, some of the guys who are looking for an opportunity to continue to prove that they could be starter caliber or high-level backup. Um, with a consistent role, eliminate all those guys right from the beginning. Hey, Javale McGee played here, played well here before. I mean, there's yeah, for sure. There himself an opportunity elsewhere. I mean, so I, I, that's that's definitely interesting. I think the Cavaliers be you know would be willing to look at him again. Right. I mean, the other thing that you have to consider is that if the Cavs, so when it comes to Colin Sexton conversations there's a domino effect and and we've talked about this a number of times but the negotiations with Colin Sexton and the kind of contract that he would get will play a role in whether or not the Cavs have full access to the mid-level exception and if they have full access to the mid-level exception it's about 10 million dollars annually they can use that all on one guy or they could split it up so if you're talking about Ricky Rubio I think he's going to be really, really close to the full mid-level. Really close to that. Now, I mean, you're probably setting your sights way lower than JaVale McGee or maybe even Hassan Whiteside. Those guys might get part of the mid-level. They might get the full mid-level. I don't know. Like, it's really, really hard to predict when it comes to centers because everybody sees their value a different kind of way. And not a lot of people around the NBA, Hayden, are paying centers these days. So so maybe yeah. you do get one of these guys for way cheaper than I anticipate. Heck, Andre Drummond had to take the minimum, you know. Um, yeah. But that's something that the Cavs have to keep in mind, that if they're going to go down the Ricky road and they're thinking they may have to give him the full mid-level or something close to that, they don't have a lot than to offer one of those backup centers. That's another reason why they liked Ed Davis. He was comfortable in his veteran mentor role. Um, He could give them minutes at times. He showed at times that he could still play in certain instances, Um, but he was also willing to take the minimum. Right. Right. Well, I think the Colin Sexton thing is remains the biggest kind of question mark um, this off season. I mean, and I think we're, you know, until that happens, we're not going to have a clear picture of what's going to happen with the, with the rest of this roster. Well, he had a bad night. He had a really bad draft night. He had no role in draft night whatsoever. 
but things did not go the way of Colin Sexton clutch sports. I'll tell you that much. So Jaden Ivey goes number five to the Detroit Pistons. Had he gone to Sacramento at number four, I don't know. Maybe Detroit goes with Keegan Murray and then targets Colin Sexton in free agency, right? So the teams that we targeted coming into this offseason, Detroit, San Antonio, Washington, and Indiana, all took guards. Yeah. (laughs) Think about that. Jaden Ivey to Detroit, Johnny Davis to Washington. Um, San Antonio took Blake Wesley and Malachi Branham. Um, and Indiana took Ben Matherin. So this doesn't mean that Collins out of the mix completely and he has no market at all. But the list of potential suitors that would have made him a higher priority certainly dwindled. So I think the thing that we can say right now, Hayden, there is no team out there that is going to make Colin Sexton plan A. Yep. He is no longer, if he even was, and I don't think he ever was Detroit's plan A, but if he was, nope, uh-uh. Not anymore. He's nope. not with Jaden Ivey there. And I don't think he's going to be San Antonio's plan A. He's not going to be Indiana's plan A. And I think Washington is going to make plan A a legitimate point guard rather than a combo guard. Um, because Washington needs somebody to play alongside Bradley Beal. They were linked to Malcolm Brogdon. They've been linked to um, any number of different point guards. So it was not a good night for Colin Sexton on Thursday. Well, I mean, I think that, yeah, not a good night money-wise. But I mean, I don't, I don't think him being in Cleveland would be, you know, the worst thing for him. I mean, I think he'd be, you know, happy with that. I agree. But when it comes to negotiations in your right. team – Sexton and and your clutch you want to have as much leverage as possible and going into the day before the draft um Collins camp believed there were multiple suitors that they they had multiple suitors that they could say to the Cavs we've got multiple people that like Colin so you need to pay up or we're going to explore that possibility um it's harder for them to say that and for the Cavs to believe that given the way things went in the NBA draft. But you're right. Collins does want to be here. I get the sense that he does want to be here. He's, he's about winning. He wants to be a part of this rise that the Cavs have. He has been a part of this. He's been here from the very beginning during this rebuild. Um, and if he came back to Cleveland, I think he would be happy. Uh, but when it comes to negotiations, and it's a business, and it's cutthroat at times, you want to have some kind of leverage and the best leverage that Colin had disappeared. Maybe the only leverage that Colin had disappeared. I mean, this is a guy who played 11 games last year. He's coming off a significant meniscus tear. What I've been told was a significant one and a very, very tricky one. Yeah. Um, And the Cavs had success without him. And there are still questions about, is he a starting caliber player in the NBA? Is he more of a six-man type reserve? Um, can he defend his own position? Are we comfortable with a six-foot-one starting shooting guard if we're going to go that direction? So there are a lot of things already working against Colin um, when it came to these negotiations. He, is, he can play. There is value to what he brings to the table. The Cavs see that. Other teams around the NBA see that. But 
is that worth $20 million a year? Is that worth $15 million a year? Is that worth $12 million a year? Is that worth $18 million a year? That's what everybody is trying to figure out. And if you were a team like Detroit that didn't have Jaden Ivey, and you were looking at all of your options saying, well, Jalen Brunson is probably not realistic for us, and uh, maybe we do have – and Miles Bridges is not really realistic for us because maybe Charlotte's going to match. or You start going through that list, right? Well, you could have justified Colin Sexton a little bit easier had you not drafted Jaden Ivey. Right. Well, like I said, we got to wait and see. I think that the Cavaliers definitely enjoyed themselves on draft night <laughs> because – like you said, Collins, you know, negotiations and, and the, the leverage went down. But I think that they I think they want to keep Collins, too. But I think it's going to be at the right price. So yep. a good night for the Cavaliers. Um, anything it's else? Be at the right price. And I don't think, right. you know, and I don't think they want to do him dirty. I don't think they want this to linger into August and hold him hostage, so to speak, the way that Chicago did with Lowry Markinen. Um But it's a business. This is not a charity. Right. That's true. They have to operate that kind of way. And a team in this kind of market can't make the financial mistakes of giving a big, big contract to somebody who, one, is not going to match that value, two, is not considered a core piece of this thing moving forward, or you have questions about whether he can be a core piece of this thing moving forward, and three, has what could be deemed a quote-unquote untradeable or difficult-to-trade contract. In this market, you can't make those financial mistakes. Not only in this market, but in this market at this stage of the rebuild, when you feel like you're ready to take off, you can't make those kinds of financial mistakes. And the Cavs are going to be really, really cognizant of that. The, the, the play on the court and the value within the organization has to match the contract that you give this guy. Bottom line. Yep. Is there anything else you want to hit on? Is there anything else that, that's on your mind that you, that's pressing? I don't, I don't think so. By the way, it's the same thing with Levert. If the Cavs are going to have extension talks with Levert coming up in August, right. they have to think about the same kinds of things with him, um, especially now that you have Abaji here. And Abaji's not Sexton, and he's not Levert. He's a different kind of player. We haven't even seen him play in the NBA, so there's a little bit of uncertainty there. But it changes the equation a little bit. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Like you said, a guy that, you know, is very different than Colin who plays a very similar position. Yep. I don't think there's anything else. I think we no. kind of touched on everything. Okay. All right. Well, we will definitely, you know, like I said, we'll be, you know, coming to you with podcasts throughout the summer as we get into free agency, as we get into all this other stuff. There's definitely, like you said, there's not too much that's going to change with this Cavaliers roster, it seems. But, you know, some key pieces could fall and then we'll, you know, see the, how the dominoes kind of end up. So appreciate you, Chris, for joining us. Uh, everybody should go sign up for Chris's subtext, three ninety nine dollars a month, 14-day free trial. All you have to do is go to cleveland.com slash Cavs, click the blue, blue banner at the top of the page. And uh, enter your information, and you'll be good to go for two weeks. And then from there, $3.99 a month. You'll get all kinds of news, analysis, insight uh, sent straight to your phone before Chris sends it to Twitter or anywhere else. So, again, Cavalier subtext, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. Go to cleveland.com slash Cavs. Chris, appreciate you. 
hope you had a great weekend and uh we will talk to you soon sounds good brother all right thank you everybody for joining the wine and gold talk podcast we will talk to you soon take care